Hello, friends. Welcome to the Brand Is You podcast with me, Robin Savage. And this is my first ever interview on the podcast. This was such a fun experience and conversation with one of my longtime mastermind members, Diane. Diane has been working with me for three quarters of a year now. She's headed into her third round of the Branded Mastermind and watching her step into her genius even more in her role and in her work has been really exceptional. And I wanted to bring her onto this podcast to have a conversation with you. So this conversation today is all about money. You're going to learn how to raise your financial temperature. We're going to talk about investing when to and maybe when not to. And she's going to give you some really practical tips on how to manage money and sit at the table to take responsibility for finances in your business. I really am looking forward to hearing what you think about this episode. You may want to take notes if you're a note taker. I know that there were a few points throughout this episode that I was scratching down a few tidbits of info. So get ready to dive in. Here we go. Diane Downs, hello. How are you? I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here with you. I cannot wait for this conversation. So to give all of you a background, um, Diane is a registered CPA turned virtual CFO and business coach. She has over 25 years of experience in public accounting. And today, Diane's come on to talk to us about money and business We're going to talk about when to invest and when not to invest. And the part of the combo that I'm most excited about beyond learning from you is really hearing your perspective about how our businesses talk to us through numbers and how our business can really communicate to us what's working, what's not working, what might be helping us get ahead or what might be holding us back in terms of number speak and I know there are a lot of creative entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast pretty regularly. And I think I'm willing to bet that I don't speak only for myself. I think I speak on all of our behalfs when we say that the number portion of business can be really hard to grasp. Yeah, it can be because it feels so overwhelming. It feels like it's like a foreign language of so many people I find avoid it altogether because there's so much wrapped into what those numbers are saying and what we make it mean about us. Mm. And it's not necessarily about us. And if we can step back from that and hear what the numbers are saying, we can better show up for ourselves and for our business and we'll have greater success. Wow. And that is so true, right? Money holds such an emotional frequency, such an emotional weight. And I think so much of our own self-worth and our value and what we see possible for ourselves, and mistake me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me that a lot of our past money story and the things that we've experienced with money sort of dictate our future in terms of what we feel we are worthy of which impacts our pricing strategies and our ability to sell and our willingness to become visible and seen, right? 
Right. And it's so much more prevalent too in small to medium-sized businesses where we are our company. Mm. So it gets so entangled and it doesn't need to be, and it, it may not be a benefit to for it to be that way. Our business is its own separate entity from us. It has a soul. It has a lifeblood to it. And to be able to pull ourselves out of that when it comes to the money portion, that's where the work is. It's trying to break us away from that, from the business so that the business can speak to us in a way that we can hear it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I feel like there's so much to dissect even in that piece of information. So let's get into it for a second. So as you know, what I teach is the brand is you. And I'd love, love to distinguish for our listeners what the difference is between the business and the brand, because what you and I are saying in this sense is opposite, right? You need to separate yourself from the business. And I'm saying you need to bring more of yourself into the brand. Mm -hmm. So would you mind giving us your definition of the business Mm-hmm. And how it's separate from us. So my definition of the business is the soul and characteristics and personality of the business itself. Like for this kind of sounds a little bit ridiculous, but I think that we can even run a human design chart on our business as of the minute it was born. And it's so much easier now when we're creating our business with DocuSign. We have like literally the minute we signed the paper to create the business. But that moment of creation, it became its own separate entity. So even though it's a separate entity, legally and uh, characteristically, we feed it and it feeds us. So even it's, it's like a partnership. Right. Yes. And I I love this. I've actually had astrological readings done for my business. So yes, it sounds ridiculous. And it's true if you want it to be true. So how I see this, and you said this, it's the, the business feeds me and I feed my business. So the way that I sort of describe a business versus a brand is that the business is the transaction right? Mm-hmm. The business is the exchange of a good or service between the business itself and the end consumer. And anyone can have a business, right? Mm-hmm. You also mentioned that the minute a business becomes legal. So the minute you have a business number, the minute you are registered as a sole proprietor, or you have a tax account, or you start to earn income, then your business is born, right? Mm-hmm. And it becomes an entity outside of yourself. And then just for my listeners, because this is the Brand is You podcast, and we typically speak about branding here, um, I just want to, again, reiterate what that branding portion is. So that branding portion is then the set of characteristics, personality traits, colors, typography, imagery, sound, you know, any sort of brand tonality, brand voice, brand vocabulary, key phrases, SEO keywords, anything that we apply to that business to personify it and give that business, a personality that then is perceived by the world. So what we're talking about with Diane are the transactional elements and that business in the way that 
it works for us and we work for it. And Mm -hmm. I really do believe that having the fundamental understanding of both of your brand and business as separate from one another can really help people in understanding the different ways they can best show up for each one of those entities because they both require completely different skill sets. Right. You say that businesses speak to us in numbers. Well, a brand isn't going to speak to us through numbers. A brand is going to speak to us through the depth of relationships and connection and Mm -hmm. engagement, right? Mm -hmm. And reach and visibility and recognition. And so let's dive into this a little bit more. So when you say a business speaks to us in numbers, and I love this so much because I don't speak numbers, Diane. (laughs) (laughs) So this to me, right? And yeah, I think a lot of creative entrepreneurs do not speak numbers and it does feel like a foreign language. So where do we start now that we've recognized and identified like, oh shit, my business is trying to talk to me through numbers. Like what is my first step past the awareness portion of that? One of the first steps, and this helps in the building the awareness, is to determine, and I'm going to sort of interchange you and your business to a certain extent because so many of us are the sole owners of our businesses and so much of our business activity comes from us. So I'm going to be a little interchanging here. But I think one of the first things to do is to determine your internal temperature of your money, high and low. Oh, talk to me, baby. (laughs) So we all have, and this goes for personal finances as well as business finances. So you can apply this in your life everywhere, but we all have a thermostat where we're set to our comfort level. So we have a high that we're, we've never gone higher than this amount. Anytime that we've gotten our bank balance, for example, up to our top amount we've ever imagined having in our account, something happens, air quotes, that brings it back down to our comfort level. So let's say that the maximum we've ever had in our account is $3,000, but we normally hang around $800. When we get up to that $3,000, something's going to happen. A bill's going to come in. Some, you know, Something is going to happen that will bring that balance back down to mm-hmm. our comfort level. And there's a low as well. Some people, the low is you know zero. Some, it's negative 500, negative 5,000 where they have more debt than they do money in the bank. And they can't imagine going lower than that. And that's once, if they ever do go lower, they automatically bring it back up. We just have this natural flow. So I think the first step in understanding the numbers of the company is to know where your temperature is so that you can then pay attention to when and how you're going to deliberately and intentionally raise that temperature. It's kind of like the thermostat in your house. You know, you have it set at 73 and when it gets to be 75, it automatically kicks in and brings it back down. Or if it gets too low, it kicks in and brings it back up. We do that subconsciously with money. Wow. Okay. First of all, I love this way of looking at money so much. 
And I was taking notes while you were doing that, just establishing my own thermometer. And it's so true. I've told this story previously, but just to give our listeners um, an example, there were years when I was first starting out, probably my first two to three years in business, I, I became profitable and I had this range. Um, I, I would hit 15K in my bank account. And then just like you said, a tax bill would come or I would realize that someone overpaid or I would have to invest in a new computer or something like, and this is the wild thing is it, it's always something just when you think there's absolutely nothing that could come or happen to bring you back down to that, that comfortable place, it would always happen. Mm -hmm. This is when I started doing my own money work for the very first time, because I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm, I'm bringing in money. I'm running a profitable business and there's something going on here. There's an invisible ceiling. So that's happened to me. And I've actually experienced that before. And I know what I did for myself, but I'm curious to hear from you. Like, so I know that every everyone listening is like, I, I want to raise my temperature, <laughs> right? I want to raise my resting temperature. How do we do that? We do it systematically where we bring ourselves to the point of what feels comfortable and go up just a little bit. So whatever we're comfortable spending. So let's say, for example, that somebody wants to invest in an online course. And they've typically spent, you know, $1,000 to join this online course or invest in this mastermind or whatever. How would it feel instead to invest $1,500? It would be uncomfortable. Mm. But would it be impossible? So it, it's, a ma- it's just shifting slightly to bring us a little higher at a time so that our nervous system can come with it. Because if we go too high, if we're typically, you know, if our if our temperature is is under ten thousand, let's say, and there's a mastermind for fifty thousand dollars that we want to invest in so that we can make a million dollars next year, my good lord, our yeah. system is gonna freak the f out. We can do it, but who knows what's gonna happen when we do that because we're not condition we're not ready for it nervous system wise. So we need to, and it doesn't have to be teeny little steps and take seven years, but we need to be aware of our nervous system as we're doing it to bring that temperature up with us in a way that keeps us safe. So our body doesn't freak out. Even my own body, when you shared that example, you know, 10K to figure out, I was like, no, don't do it. Right. (laughs) And I want to talk for a second about the actual tangible, physical repercussions of putting ourselves through something like that. Like they almost create physical symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. We create restriction in our bodies. We start to put pressure on ourselves to make the return on investment, right? I spent so much money. This has to give more back to me. Mm-hmm. right? We start to feel stress and anxiety around the future. What if it doesn't bring that money back to me? And all of this creates contraction in our bodies. And I cannot stress this enough. And I'm I'm sure you agree with me. Like, I do not believe in that type of mm-hmm. investment. 
And I have pushed myself financially to invest in my business. I've pushed myself, you know, financially to go on trips and and been in situations where I've spent more money on a custom jacket that my friend made than I would spend on anything else. But there's a feeling associated with it that is not panic. What is that typical feeling that people can sort of expect when they're pushing their comfort zones to raise their money temp, do you think? I think it the prevailing feeling will be discomfort. Okay. Where it's it's really uncomfortable, but it's not scary. So I think that there's a fine line where we want to be sure that we have our own safety in mind, that our body and our external life is safe doing this thing, investing, buying this thing, investing this thing, whatever. If it doesn't feel that way, then we put too much pressure on it to be the answer. Right. So I think the internal feeling is discomfort, but also confidence in that I'm the one that's going to make this work. Not whoever I'm buying this from, whatever I'm doing, whatever trip I'm going on, what that's not the answer. I'm the answer. I already have it in me. Investing in this thing is going to help bring it more to light, but I'm the answer. And I think that 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 combination of discomfort and confidence together is the feeling that we're looking for. I love that. And so for anyone listening, I think one of the indicators for me in making these decisions for myself is that I feel excited about the opportunity. And when I really think about it in terms of handing the money over, it doesn't threaten my life, right? It doesn't threaten my ability to pay for my bills. It doesn't threaten my opportunity to contribute to my savings account, doesn't threaten my current savings account. And this is personal, right? So I think it's important that we recognize and and establish for listeners that this is going to be so different for everyone, Mm -hmm. right? But for me, it's, it's that feeling of, okay, this feels uncomfortable and you definitely nailed it there. And I know inside my body that there is something in this for me that I need to explore And if I do allow myself to explore this, then the feeling there is expansion, Mm -hmm. not fear. And I love that you said there's a difference between discomfort or feeling uncomfortable and feeling scared. And in our nervous systems, I think that translates as growth and expansion, you know, repatterning and creating this, this real growth and change for ourselves versus putting ourselves in a scary, restricting, threatening situation that puts us into survival mode and, you know, sends our nervous systems into fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And that brings up a a really great point in one of the things that I work with my clients on a lot is establishing bank accounts where money flows into them systematically and automatically. So, We have the general operating account, all the money goes into it, and then a percentage gets peeled off straight away for taxes because Mm. that's the biggest expense that sends a business reeling is an unexpected tax bill. So money comes off the top, 
right? At the beginning, as soon as it comes in, it goes into the tax savings account. And that money is there to make the quarterly tax payments to pay the IRS or the state or the, you know, whatever government you're, you have to pay your taxes to. And then another amount gets peeled off and goes into a savings account just for seasonality, just for, you know, a global pandemic, whatever it is that we need to have a cushion for. So money goes into there. And then also money comes off the top straight off to pay you Mm -hmm. because you're exchanging your knowledge, your work, your time and energy into this business. It needs to reciprocate by paying you back. And so many early entrepreneurs don't take a payroll. They don't take a salary. So they end up feeling washed and used up because Mm -hmm. they're not receiving anything back. It's an exchange because again, it's a separate entity from you. So there's an exchange transaction that has to happen there. Even if it's a small amount to just get into the habit of I get paid for this. Yeah. I think this is such an important point. You know, we see and hear so many stories about entrepreneurial burnout, creative mm-hmm. stuckness, stagnancy, losing our momentum um, as founders and entrepreneurs. And I really do believe that this is one of the key foundational pieces to preventing burnout. You know, financial responsibility leads to a lot more than numbers that make sense right? Financial responsibility leads to feeling supported, leads to energy, leads to Mm -hmm. building financial freedom. And I think, you know, we all have financial goals, right? We all have these numbers in our heads uh, of like the, the point that we could retire or pay our mortgage off or buy our first house or take that vacation or whatever it is, pay for our kids to go to camp or, you know, whatever that, that financial goal is. I think if we are just like you said, constantly giving to our businesses and we do not see financial gains that are helping us even inch closer to our goal, then we lose hope, right? Right. We lose motivation because then the narrative becomes, this is never going to fucking work, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's never going to happen. And what we see so often is small gains multiply. So if you can make a little bit of financial progress and you can learn how to sell one thing, then all of the sudden you can sell 10 things. And once you've learned how to sell 10 things, well, next you're selling 30 things. But I feel like that biggest struggle, that biggest leap for people is between zero to one, zero to five, zero to 10, right? Getting into the swing of things and trusting themselves enough to make a sale and then having the bravery and courage to make the sale again. And then doing it again and again and again. So I love what you've said about giving yourself and ensuring that you're giving yourself money from the business to help support you, to keep you motivated, and to show you, to create evidence for yourself that it is working, right? $50, $100, $1,000 at a time, it's working, right? Right. Okay, so you talked about stretching or raising our financial temperature in terms of spending. Mm -hmm. But what about in terms of earning? So if I, for example, have, you know, I make 20K a month, say, and Mm -hmm. I'm like, yep, this is like, this is my standard now, just 20K after 20K, but I'm ready for 40K a month. 
for some people, 40K a month is like, what? Right? It's, and and I would inspire our listeners to dream in a way that feels like a dream for you. So if you're ready to make 10K a month, get behind that number. If you're ready to make a million, like what whatever your number is, play with that. But for this example, let's say I make 20K a month and I'm ready to make, or my, my dream is to make 40K a month. How do I begin to to raise my financial temperature to earn more? The first thing that I want to bring attention to is knowing how much you're making. Mm. Because we don't. <laughs> like we really don't actually know because we're not looking at the numbers because we're avoiding them. So maybe you already are making 40K or maybe you're making 30 and you don't realize how much closer you are to 40 than you were the last time you looked at it six months ago when you were at 20, maybe you're already there. So looking at the numbers is the first step. And then when you see what that gap is and you see where you know what you what gap you want to jump over raising your temperature in that way is it's about receiving it's about mm-hmm. expanding your capacity to receive and there's a lot of talk about how our capacity to receive is in correlation to our capacity to spend or to give and i think that that is true to a certain extent but I don't feel like we have to spend all the money to make all the money. I think Mm -hmm. that we can not only receive, we can keep. Mm -hmm. So I think that there needs to be a discussion about being able to hold money, not just receive it and spend it back out again. Because that's one, another one of the things in looking at the numbers is that, yeah, that's great. You're bringing in all this money, but how much are you keeping? How much profit do you have at the end of the day? Are you spending it all trying to keep yourself afloat? Is that spend happening in a frantic, I have to do this to make it work way? Or is the spend happening in an intentional way? And all of that comes together and informs our ability to receive. Because if we're spending frantically, we're, we don't have the capacity to receive and hold. Mm. I'm so happy we're having this conversation. (laughs) So I'm going to bring a a little bit of my own personal story into this again, but this was a big lesson for me. So I personally grew up and and like many people, I'm sure you see in your work, um, Diane, and many people listening as well. Like I grew up in a scarcity mindset, right? Mm -hmm. You save half no matter what, and you put it into a dungeon that no one can get into ever. And you save that money, that 50% of your paycheck for the rainy day, that that Mm -hmm. rainy day in your life where you have nothing left. And only once you have nothing left, do you touch it. And, you know, I was taught to strive for stability and to get the pension and to just take it easy, right? Like we don't need to become wealthy here. We just need to make it. We need to survive. And this perpetuated a ton of scarcity beliefs in myself. And I've done so much work around reframing these. But my biggest lesson actually came when my business started to make a lot of money and I was completely 
unprepared, mm-hmm. like wildly underprepared when it came to actually having wealth and holding money. Mm-hmm. And I I still wouldn't consider myself a wealthy person, but I have a steady stream of money flow that's coming in. And what I really learned was that in order to raise my money temperature, I had to become the woman who could hold it, mm-hmm. who could manage it. And I had none of that set up. I had never had conversations about it. My whole entrepreneurial journey had been just about figuring out a way to make it. Mm-hmm. But that's really only half of the equation, right? Like once you figure out how to make money, there's a whole other story that mm-hmm. that comes. There's chapters and chapters and chapters of your story that are told through your actions beyond that point. Who are you as a woman once you have the money? What are your values? Do your values change and adjust to the money that you're bringing in? What are your goals? You know, if you're in a partnership, then what are your goals as a partnership? What are your goals as a family? What what do you want to have to show for it sort of, right? And this was huge in terms of First of all, just functionality. Do I have a place for this money to go? Do I have the bank account set up? Do I have the direct deposits? Do I have the money for taxes? Let's talk about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you start to make more money, guess what, friends? You pay so much more money. I remember coaching my husband through this a couple of times, like, you know, him freaking out over giant tax bills. And I'm like, yeah, but babe, this means that we're growing. So you have to learn to love money in a whole new way because your relationship with it is growing and changing as you welcome more of it. And I don't know, this was such a, just such a huge part of my, it probably took me two years of therapy and marriage counseling and really figuring out um, like hiring financial people. And, and Diane, I, I, you know, wish that I had known you then, but I'm so happy to have the conversations with you now about, how we can make this money work for us. Because what I recognize now is that wealthy people don't just focus on making money. Mm -hmm. They focus actually a lot of their energy on making their money work for them so that they actually get to work less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And taking the money from the profits from the business. And so once you've overflowed, this is like a very practical, tactical way of explaining it once. So you receive the money in, you overflow into the tax savings, you overflow into your business savings and you pay yourself. When that business savings reaches a certain dollar amount, then that can overflow outside the business. So then you can start to save to invest in real estate, Mm -hmm. to invest in the stock market so that you then begin to diversify and expand your wealth in different areas for stability, for divert, you know, just the general diversify for stability conversation, but also just to build generational wealth for you. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, this is a conversation that my husband and I have had many times and, you know, even bringing money into our regular conversations as a couple was such a game changer for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I don't know about you, but I highly recommend to anyone listening 
I know money is an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people. And honestly, for myself, I I used to have this mentality of like, I just don't want anything to do with it. You know, here, I'll just make it and you, you pay the bills. I'll make it. And you, you decide, you know, like, where's the best place for it to go? And what will we do next? And this was a huge up level in my own leadership and my own role and identity as a business owner, you know, over time handing over the power with the money started to not feel fun. It started to not feel effortless and cool. This is great. I've just got this guy who's going to like make all these decisions and make it easy for me. But it started to feel um, powerless and like this more childish version of myself. So growing into a version of myself that could actually have an opinion also Mm -hmm. meant that I had to learn. So showing up for calls with our financial advisor, researching the stock market, having an understanding of interest rates and our mortgage and how it was changing. Like I really had to actively bring myself into financial conversations and become interested, right? And I think that a lot of female entrepreneurs maybe sell themselves a little bit short Mm -hmm. when it comes to this. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? I think that... One of the biggest drivers for me in the work that I do is to increase the level of financial literacy for Mm. female business owners, because so often they are deferring everything, like you had said, either to a spouse, to a father, to their male CPA, to make decisions that are so vitally important that they need to be part of. And It's because of this emotional wave we bring with us into these conversations where we don't feel qualified to even be at this table to have these conversations, but it's only by being at this table and having the conversations that we become qualified. It's being able to stand up and say, I need to know this. This is my money. This is a decision I need to make. I need to be part of this. And it's an ownership more than anything else. It's being able to say, yes, I am capable of learning how to do this. This is not hard. It's something I can learn. Yeah. You know, I was listening to a podcast recently and the woman's name was Cody. I can't remember, but she's incredible. And um, I'll look her up and and put a link to the podcast that I'm referring to in the show notes of this podcast episode for everyone listening. But her name was Cody. And she said, that people in the financial world who speak the financial speak, they have the lingo and they they make it complicated because that's what keeps us paying them, right? It's like, if they have this language that none of us have when it comes to investing or finance or making deals, then we have to hire experts outside of ourselves to do all of those things for us. So they they can't, make it normalized or they can't make it simple because then people would realize, holy shit, I could do this, right? I can do this for myself. And even with my husband in the beginning, when I was like, okay, I want to be on the call with our financial advisor. He was like, really? Like, are you sure? It's just a bunch of boring speak. I'm like, yeah, well, if we're going to be 50, 50 in these decisions, then I need to learn the speak. Right. And when we went through and did all of our budgets for expenses, he was like, really, we're going to look at everything. I'm like, yeah, because this Mm -hmm. is what it's going to take for us to have 
an equal say, an equal knowing in what, yeah. what the hell is going on. And it blew, it blew my husband away a little bit. I will say it was surprising for him to see me step up in that regard and to really show an active interest. And this is where I feel like generations of women, you know, we've never been in the place that we are to earn the money that we do now and to give ourselves the power when it comes to like putting ourselves at the table um, mm -hmm. and having these conversations because we've never been welcome at the table before. Right. And I think a big part of that, you know, in being able to stand up and say, I want to be part of this conversation. So much of it has to do with who's teaching you. Who's at the other side of that table giving mm. you this financial education? Are they patronizing? Are they talking down to you? Are they treating you less than? If they are, go to a different table. The worst, yeah. Find somebody who will treat you as an equal and educate you. Because one of the things, especially for early entrepreneurs, we do all the things, right? Mm -hmm. We do the marketing, we do you know the website, we do all the things. And it's only after we have that knowledge that we can then hire and delegate and oversee somebody to do it. So no, you don't need to become a financial expert to be able to do that job, but you need to know what they're doing. So they're not making decisions that you should be making. You need right. to have an understanding of it. It kind of right. one of the examples I think of all the time, I don't even know if this is even true, but I'm going to imagine that it is, is that I heard that Oprah signs every single check in her company. Badass. I mean, you need to know yeah. what's going on. You need to have that knowledge so that you then can rely on somebody else that is better at it and that loves it, okay? Because creative entrepreneurs are never going to love doing the numbers, but they need to be able to understand them to be able to integrate what other people are doing for them. Right. And ask questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is what I do love in terms of having someone on my team who does finances that I can ask questions. And this is yeah. where, you know, we get to circle back before we wrap up to the very first thing you said um, in this conversation is that your business speaks to you through numbers. Mm -hmm. And how many questions do we have to ask to be able to understand what our business is trying to tell us? And this is where, you know, I have worked with accountants who make me feel so stupid, right? Like the size of an ant. I'm like, okay, guys, you know, like I'm not here for that. I'm here to learn. And if you can't teach me as a human being, then forget it, right? Yeah. But I've asked so many questions and that's what I really hope our listeners take from this today. Like if you knew your business was trying to communicate with you through these numbers, it's not trying to hurt you or harm you, but it actually it's trying to reciprocate what you are doing and giving to the business through finances and money. You know, how can you ask questions? How can you learn? How can you educate yourself to be able to translate what those numbers are trying to tell you? So right. um, Diane, where can we find you? Because I feel like so many of our listeners are going to have questions for you. And I know, <laughs> I know that you have 
the answers in a way that will make every single one of our listeners and these community members feel seen and heard and capable? Uh, The best way to find me is through uh, my link. It's not a link tree, but it's my link page. So it's my first initial and my last name. So ddownscpa.com backslash links. Okay. Amazing. Everything is linked there. You know, okay, so. say that one more time. ddownscpa.com slash links. links. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes as well so that everyone can find you there. Thank you so much for coming on and being my first podcast guest. <laughs> this was you. such a great conversation. Is there one takeaway that you have for people? from this conversation? The takeaway that I have is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what your business is trying to tell you because it wants to succeed more than you do. Oh, mic drop, (laughs) ladies and gents. Oh my gosh. It wants to succeed more than you do. I just feel like people listening to that. I mean, even me, that makes me feel so relieved and so held by my business. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're in this together, right? Mm. I love that so much. And I love you. Thank you so much. Diane has been in my mastermind. How many times have you been in the branded mastermind? I'm coming into my third round. Third round. Yeah. Yeah, So we get to collaborate and work together um, week after week after week inside the mastermind space. And I'm so happy that I got to bring you onto the podcast. So thank you so much for being here. I just love you so much and the work that you're doing in the world and in this space. It's just a service and a conversation that everyone needs to have. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, was that not an amazing conversation? I don't know about you, but money was a conversation that took me a really long time to have. And even from the day I started my journey as an entrepreneur over 10 years ago, money just wasn't something I talked about. It really wasn't even something I focused on. I was so focused on getting good at what I was doing and and booking people and refining my skill and building a brand that I sort of just let money flow and follow. And what ended up happening on my story was that one day it just worked. And when it worked, I really wasn't prepared. You kind of heard my story about that in this episode and in this conversation, but I want to give you tools so that you can be prepared for your success. I want you to be really ready to manage money when it comes and I hope that today prepared you for your wealth, prepared you for your success because we know that it is on its way, my friends. It is on its way and the more prepared and the more well-versed and the more comfortable you are talking about this, the quicker it will happen for you. So as always, if you loved this topic and conversation, please share it on social media. Tag me, 
And let's have these conversations on a larger scale. I love you so much. If you'd love to be a guest on the Brand Is You podcast, you feel like you have something that will contribute to our listeners' experience and journey, then send us an email, team at robinsavage.com, and let's connect. I love you so much, and I will see you soon.